If this was a wedding anniversary, it would be 10k diamond, but because we're on teacher salaries, it'll just be cubic zirconia. The 100th episode of the Nerd by Word starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome to the 100th episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. I'm Dave, here with my buddy Chris, and we are getting ready to have a long discussion reflecting on the last 99 episodes of creating nerdy content. But first, as always, it's time for... Chris, what you got in the news department this week? Well, the MCU uh, version of the Fantastic Four is now in search of a director as John Watts has stepped away from the role. This is nothing... um, This is not a bad situation. It is an amicable split as Watts is just taking a break from the superhero genre after completing the Spider-Man trilogy for Marvel Studios and Sony. Um, A lot of folks are expecting him to return for a possible fourth Spider-Man film, but he has stepped away um, from the Fantastic Four director's chair. Um, Kevin Feige, the boss, president of Marvel Studios, said, quote, collaborating with John on the Spider-Man films has been a true pleasure. We are looking forward to continuing our work with him to bring the Fantastic Four into the MCU. Um but understand and are supportive uh, of his reasons for stepping away. We are optimistic that we will have the opportunity to work together again at some point down the road, end quote. So this is be very, very interesting. I know that we had commented at the time of the announcement of the FF film and that he was um, going to be the director, that it was a little bit of a lackluster selection. Um, but after, you know, really kind of leveling up in Spider-Man No Way Home from a directorial standpoint, um, it would have I, I was a little bit more intrigued. But now we're completely hitting the reset button. So um, there's a lot of speculation out there. So it'll be interesting to see who they replace him with. Yeah, I'm just really hoping that they get somebody with a little bit of a sci-fi experience in their background. <clears throat> I think the best approach to a Fantastic Four movie would ultimately be to really go uh, lean strongly into the sci-fi stuff, you know, the, the science-y things, the exploration of like different realms and stuff like that, and maybe just a little less into the super heroics of it all. I think that would give it a, a really unique tone. And there are several really good Fantastic Four stories that do that. And you know, when you're thinking of directors of the last few years that have really done good sci-fi work, there are, you know, there's so many that come to mind. I would be intrigued, uh, somebody like Ryan Johnson taking the helm, for example. I mean, he, he didn't, you know, just do, uh, you know, The Last Jedi. He also directed um, Looper, which was a really interesting science fiction movie. Um, Neil Blomkamp, who has done a lot of science fiction stuff. I absolutely adored his District 9 movie. I thought it was, you know, really incredible. Um, and then, of course, 
you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, the uh, director of Dune um, and Blade Runner 2049, uh, just really good science fiction approach. So, you know, my hope is that they're going to shop around and try to get somebody who really can lean into the sci-fi of it all. Um, you know, I, n- nothing against uh, the director of, of the Spider-Man movies. Um, I, I think, you know, there was a lot of experience being gained as the movies went along and they, they kept looking better with each installment, I think. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Fantastic Four have, like, had two, you know, mid to absolutely atrocious uh, adaptations at this point. So if we lean a little bit into the sci-fi of it all, I think we can strike the right tone with this kind of movie. And I'm just really excited for, you know, a really good Fantastic Four adaptation, Chris. Yeah, and I think I think that is probably at the core of why those two previous iterations didn't work. The first time around, they really leaned into the goofy aspects of it, and it, it was a little too slapsticky, um, particularly with like Reed's powers and just the interesting look of the thing, and and, and into the, just like this this the, a little too cartoony, uh, and then I don't know what the hell uh, Fan Four Stick was. Um, it was just atrocious from top to bottom. So I, I think really nailing this selection uh, in the director's chair is is really really paramount. Um, my my go to pick would be Jonathan Frakes. You know, based on his experience with Star Trek, not only in the acting role but in the director's chair as well. He directed um, First Contact, widely regarded as first or second best Star Trek film, certainly the best of the Next Generation era films. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, he's also done some some magnificent work on Star Trek Discovery episodes. And I believe he's also done some work on the Orville, which I have not watched. But um, so he's he's really got the chops. I also want to see that Gargoyles movie. I think we fan casted that forever ago with him. directing. Yes. So I would love to see him step into the role. But I love all the names that you listed as well. Yeah, here's hoping that uh, you know, the MCU figures this one out because I think the Fantastic Four, you know, is sorely needed as a big marquee uh, movie considering how many franchises are winding down. I'm not sure how many more Thor movies we're going to get here. You know, Captain America, there's been a major change there and, and really getting a fourth Captain America. It's been very, very quiet since the initial announcement. Iron Man has run its you know course. Uh, obviously, there are big shifts and changes happening in the MCU. And I think, you know, Fantastic Four is one of those big, you know, name recognition kind of things that they can put on the table, you know, to keep pushing the MCU forward. So, you know, here's hoping. Yeah, now that story bleeds into a little bit to the new story that you have for us, Dave. Yeah, so uh, basically my new story is, is, you know, bring on the sequels. So uh, first up at uh, CinemaCon, it was announced that The Batman is getting a sequel. And Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, and uh, the entire team, according to Warner Brothers movie chief Toby Emmerich, the entire team will be taking audiences back to Gotham with The Batman 2. Uh, no release date was announced, but it appears that a sequel is forthcoming. Um, and then, uh, not officially confirmed, but uh, definitely in the rumor category, is that Deadline recently shared that Sony Pictures and its Spider-Man producers uh, have made it clear that they expect to work again with director John Watts, Tom Holland, and Zendaya to team up again to make a fourth Spider-Man movie. So Sony seems to be very much convinced that all the major players 
of the MCU uh, franchise are going to return. Now, first up, I would say The Batman uh, was one of my favorite movies I've recently watched. And I rewatched it with my wife, and she was completely blown away by it and can, you know, kind of uh, declared it her favorite Batman movie as well. So uh, seeing a sequel and having all the major players back is very exciting. Um, as far as the Spider-Man 4 rumors, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, it would be nice to maybe switch things up a little bit. Um, you know, it's a kind of a natural breaking point in the way the last movie ended. We could bring in a new director, you know, new writers and, and kind of, you know, explore a different corner of, of the Spider-Man universe. Bringing everybody back uh, seems like we're just going to be getting more of the same, which seems like a missed opportunity. Chris, what do you think? Um, first off, I wholeheartedly agree with all of the Batman sentiments. I'm, I'm of kind of two mindsets. I'm a little bit, um, I, I love the cast returning. I don't know how I feel about John Watts returning in particular. I think it was a very specific vibe that he was going for kind of like a, um, oh, what, what are those? 80s rom-com films they were all like the breakfast club and all that stuff there was a particular director that i'm drawing a blank on that did all of those um but yeah so like that whole kind of shtick that they went for it was cute and it was fine but i felt like like you said this is a natural breaking point so if we can kind of evolve into the next iteration i'm i'm interested because this is kind of like uncharted territory we've never had anything um, at least Spider-Man centric go beyond a, a trilogy with the same, you know, cast before we hit the reboot button. And I'm exhausted to death of, of rebooting and doing something completely new and hitting the reset button. So I am interested to see where Tom Spider-Man and Zendaya's MJ go from here. Um, I'm, I would like to see Ned get a new hairpiece or just, fully embraces his shaved head that'd be that'd be optimal but um i am intrigued to see um those characters return i would like to see a comp- uh, like like a, an not necessarily like a whole uh cut the things whole cloth in a new direction but i want to see a continuation of the story and an evolution of these characters and not a regression so here's then an interesting question for you, Chris, as I'm sitting here and we're discussing the future of Spider-Man. You know, every time we get a new actor or a new direction, they go ahead and reboot the franchise. And you said you're very much sick of reboots. How would you feel about uh, an approach that they take with something like um, like James Bond, where they just recast a role, but they keep pushing the, the, the narrative forward rather than breaking and starting at the beginning again? Do you think something like that could work for Spider-Man? I think that it could work. Um, I think... Yeah, I think that that could work. I think there's not really like a continual, um, at least my experience with James Bond, there's not like a real necessity to be a continuation. Like it's very, it's very much like you can jump in at any point and you don't really have to worry about pre-established stories. Um, I felt like the Daniel Craig era of, of James Bond was kind of reboot-ish. But yes, I think they, absolutely. I think that they were, for the most part, so high quality that I, I didn't really mind it. And I, that was like when that was really the first time that I came into the James Bond fandom, like with with any kind of earnestness. I had seen a little bit on TNT and syndication there of previous James Bond films, but Daniel Craig 
like that was my high school years and I was really coming into viewing that like whole cloth. So, um, yeah, so I think it could work. Um, I just want to see more than just a reboot and an, an origin story. Yeah, see that that's my thoughts as well. I think we we always end up kind of um, falling short of fully exploring the potential of the character if you keep you know resetting everything, um, kind of like the comic books a little bit. Um, so I think there are a lot of missed opportunities. I still think it's very sad that we never got to see Andrew Garfield Spider Man interacting with like you know J Jonah Jameson or the the whole Daily Bugle setup or you know all of that. We re- we really never got that. Um, which I think was incredibly sad. Yeah, and and you know, as far as these campaigns of make another amazing Spider-Man, I don't know. Um, Garfield's performance in No Way Home was so pitch perfect to me. I'm afraid to revisit that. And um, th- here's another news story we could have gone with. He looks like he's stepping away from acting uh, for a short period of time. So um, I don't know what future that holds, and I'm I'm kind of okay with that um, if we if we never go back to that well because I don't want to you know ruin it. Um, but I also don't want to like talk out of two sides of my mouth um, because I don't see the Batman, which I like wholeheartedly adored. I didn't see that as a reboot. We didn't have to see the origin story. We didn't have to retread all of that previous territory. And so I think that um, it, it kind of goes in the line of what you were saying with the James Bond type thing. I think it was a welcome change to you know this rebooted uh, epidemic, if you will. Yeah, and it reminds me of something like um, All-Star Superman uh, by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Uh, you have this one page that basically like is the briefest like six-word recap of Superman's origin, and then it's just like, we're, we're, we're off to the races. We don't need to talk about the origin. We don't need to retread all that. We're just going to jump straight in. I think we're at the point now, especially with a lot of these iconic superheroes, where you do not need to retell an origin story because it is so... Uh, so well known it is in in the public zeitgeist so you know let's just tell a story um and and move on with life rather than constantly having to watch you know bruce wayne's parents getting shot in an alley Alrighty, folks that's it for nerd news stick around after this break we're going to jump into our byword big talk as we discuss the things that stood out to us from our first 100 episodes so stick around Alrighty, folks, we're back, and this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of discussion as we decided that it was time for us to kind of reflect on, you know, reaching the milestone of 100 episodes in this week's So what we're going to do this week is we're going to kind of go through some things that we have learned, you know, our favorite moments from various episodes and kind of recap some of the things that we have experienced uh, making this podcast. Uh, You'll hear us reference several, uh, you know, older podcasts from our library. And of course, we want to encourage you to go back and listen to those if you are interested in some of those interviews or events that we talked about. So, Chris, our first uh, thing that we wanted to talk about uh, for our 100th episode is just the biggest lessons that we have learned from making a podcast. What What's something that you have learned from this experience? I would say that it's it's building and cultivating my own creative skills. 
um, you know, through making this show, um, it's really gotten my creative juices flowing. Um, you know, I've become a, a freelance writer for a comics bookcase. That's something that I hadn't done. I hadn't done actual writing since, you know, my college days. So that's, that's something that was really cool. I mean, if you would have told me two years ago that I would be writing about Ninja Turtle comics for a website, like I would have never believed you. And so, you know, just branching that out, um, I've created my own original character uh, in preparation for the new Marvel multiverse RPG game that's coming out with a group of friends. That's something that I'd always wanted to get into, um, something like D&D, but I was never brave enough to. I never knew a group of people to do it with. And so I found like a cool group and, and you know, I never thought that I'd be creating my own original character and just like really kind of steeping into, um, you know, what I, the abilities that I didn't know that they were just like latent and, um, you know, also like being able to reach out to creators for interviews and just like dipping my toe in that water and putting myself out there and, you know, coming up with episode ideas you know, a hundred times now uh, that we've bounced each other uh, ideas back and forth. And, and so just really cultivating my skills as a creator that I never knew existed for me. Yeah. See, and I will say, you know, I've, I've lived the creative life, you know, going back several years and I keep kind of dipping in and out of it, but, you know, doing this podcast has gotten me back into, you know, several things as well. Um, you know, I wrote a uh, a ten page uh, comic book short story recently that an artist is actively working on right now. We haven't found a home for it in an anthology yet, but I'm pretty proud that I'm writing comics again. You know, got my own block set up where I, where I you know review different things and um, did a little bit of freelance work. Um, so yeah, I would say that this podcast has definitely uh, opened those kinds of doors and kind of pushed us into you know becoming more creative, Chris. All right, Dave, there's not a whole lot that I can add to your biggest lesson learned, but I'm excited to hear your answer nonetheless. Yeah, I will say that uh, I, you know, have dabbled in various, you know, things in the past, uh, technical stuff like, you know, layout for, you know, magazines and newspapers, video editing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I never really worked much in in the field of audio editing until uh, this podcast came along. And so when we were doing sort of the division of labor, I guess you could say, you became uh, sort of the the man for hunting down uh, potential interview subjects and doing social media promotion. And I kind of became the technical guy and, and did the audio editing. And let me tell you, that is a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of jumped in with, with both feet there at the beginning. And uh, you could, I like to think that the audio quality of our show has uh, improved as we went along, as I changed, you know, to a different software, um, tried to experiment a little bit and, you know, how to put all this together. Um, and I definitely decided that I wanted to, the show to sound naturalistic as we discuss things. So I've never been the guy to go in and edit out all the ooms and ahs, you know, yeah. I edit out some, some of the longer pauses that we might take as we gather our thoughts, but I want always wanted this show to sound uh, very much like just a conversation between two dudes rather than something that is, you know, um, overly polished right. to the point where it becomes unnatural. And so, you know, I I'll edit some things out, but for the most part, uh, the things we say and how we say them, 
stay the way we record them. And I think it really works for our show. But oh, buddy, figuring out how to make it sound the way I wanted to was quite a challenge. I think I'm getting there, but I'm still even now learning new things about audio editing. And it's been an absolutely fascinating road for me. Yeah, and I'm very, very thankful that we were able to divide that labor um, as such, because that would be completely uncharted territory for me to the point where like, I just stand back in awe when I listen to an episode and like, I get teased sometimes. They're like, you listen to your own podcast. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't hear all the other stuff that Dave added in. And like, for example, when we, when we, um, uh, contracted someone to, to make like the little ditties for our, um, our segments and like hearing nerd news like it's just like fascinating to me and i i still get hype every time i hear al jimenez's you know music for our show i think like for for just the the small amount that we paid for that freelance work for al like it is still one of the things that i love most about our show is our intro music in particular it's just blows my mind every time yeah, it really gets me hyped. You know, I, I sometimes listen to the intro music before we actually start recording yes. because it puts me in it puts me in the nerd Boward mindset. Yeah, it's just a great piece of music. And, and you know, as like as a as a wrestling fan, it's like our entrance music. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> All right, Chris. So an, another thing that we really wanted to talk about was you know some of our favorite episodes. What would you say is you know sort of at the at the pinnacle of nerd by word? Uh, Nerd by wordiness, let's put it that way. Dude, I, I still go back to this moment as like, you have those pivotal moments in your life where you mem- remember exactly where you were, what was happening. You know, for some people, it's like momentous moments in world or American history. And for me, it's the biggest flub that I've ever had in my podcasting career is when we were... um correcting or when we were um fixing the star wars prequels very early on in in our show and i flubbed the line and said attack of the crones and it's perhaps (laughs) the greatest outtake ever because we couldn't stop laughing for two minutes straight i think it's even like the like an outtake post credits uh on that episode and and even even further like just that I talked about building creative skills. I think another big lesson that I've learned from from this show is how to do like how to dissect and diagram storytelling. And that's helped me not only create my own stories and writing, but it's also helped me like when I watch a film, I'm able to dissect and pinpoint storytelling um you know aspects as well so the way i watch movies now is markedly different um because of episodes like fixing the prequels and i also like that episode because attack of the clones is probably the greatest disappointment for me star wars wise because there was so much there like that i wanted it to be and the crap dialogue really did it in and and there's so much potential and so like that was probably the biggest letdown star wars wise so going going back and applying our own fixes like that was really fun because i'm like man this was what this movie could have been so attack of the crones was was the peak episode for me and i will say that i like all of those fixing episodes i think those are some of the most interesting things we do we really dig into like you know the notion of storytelling 
um, you know, movie making. And we really try to, you know, I wouldn't say that we're really negative. You know, we, we yeah. like to lean into the potential of a story and of a movie. And like this, this is how we would have done things differently to get maximum potential, you know, for it to help this story reach its potential. And so I really, really enjoy all of those that, you know, the prequels, the man of steel fixes that we did, um, even the X-Men fixes, everything that we fixed has just been a lot of fun to me. Um, and, and they all stand as some of the, the best content I think we've created. Well, and and in the the medium of of nerdy podcasts and pop culture podcasts, it's really hard to make yourself stand out. As as we continue to find out, um, is there are umpteen podcasts that are even if we were to go specifically comic book based. So how do you make yourself stand out? And there, you know, I could. There's an endless amount of dumping on movies or dumping on shows that are widely regarded as of poor quality or a disappointment. And so I think it's something that I, I'm proud to hang my hat on that we kind of took a more optimistic approach and tried to problem solve rather than problem proclaim, if you will, that like, of course we know that the prequels were a disappointment, but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix it? There's no use crying over spilled blue milk. Um, how are you, how are you going to fix the problem? You know, like rather than just point out and say, this is a problem, this is a problem. We'll fix it and do something about it. And I will also say that, uh, generally speaking, that's one of my favorite things about what we do here is we're not, uh, you know, a negativity based podcast. We definitely try to be, you know, optimistic in our approach, even when things disappoint us, we try to see, you know, the, the, the bright side of things. Um, there, there is enough negativity in the world, and I never, I never wanted our platform to be something right. that is overly negative. That is constantly just like, like I wanted this to be a, I want this to be a joyous show, one that people will listen to and say, you know, this, this made my day a little bit brighter. Yeah, you know, and crapping on a comic book or a movie for for sixty minutes is not going to put a smile on anybody's face. I think. And even, I mean, we even did the worst comic books that I ever read, but like, even that was like a jovial, like, you know, a type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're, we're not the kind of people that, you know, call for, for, you know, death threats or something for comic book creators. This is just not who we are. No. Um, and, you know, like, there's a, there's like a quote from uh, some show or film that Elizabeth Olsen was in, and she's like calling out the guy that's like, you know, you always talk about what you hate and like, that's boring. Talk about what you love. And like, even if like, and, and some people see that the other way of like, don't just be eternally optimistic and never hold anybody accountable. But I see that as like, if you don't enjoy something, you know, and this, this change, change the channel and, you know, with streaming or whatever, switch apps or whatever, pause and hit something else. But like, I always go back to like the show Gotham. It was such a disappointment to me. And um, so I just watched something else. You know, rather than make a 55 minute YouTube video with a screen cap of like googly eyes on whatever character, like horrifying graphics, like just God, I hate that stuff, man. Talk about something you do enjoy. And if you don't like something, watch something that you do like. Like it's this crazy notion. And I think this may be, you know, uh, part of the reason that uh, we're kind of an under the radar kind of podcast is we don't lean into the hate and it's very easy to get these you know hate clicks from people uh you know when you're trying to create 
content that uh, invokes very strong emotions, pro or con, you know, that that's that's the easy route, I think, to grow an audience. People hate watch you or something. And I'm just not interested in that kind of thing. And I know you are not either. So we, we remain, even after 100 episodes, kind of uh, the best kept secret of the nerd world, I think. Yeah. Um, but people do, but people have been finding us. And I think they find that we're generally just, you know, a very positive podcast that just loves nerd culture. Yeah. I mean, like even like, let's, let's go to the one we always find our, our way to is, is Zack Snyder. Like I legitimately enjoyed um, army of the dead. I thought it was a really fun film. Uh, Matthias Feinhofer, especially. Um, and his vision for what the DC universe was, is just not for me, but I think he's an, from what I've read or from what I understand, he's an outstanding individual, but I'm not going to sit here on social media and dunk on the Snyder bros or whatever, because like, that's a horrible waste of my free time, you know? So whether I like something or not, I'm just, I'm just going to be me. Absolutely. All right, Dave, I am very excited to talk about your favorite episode. Yeah, so um, one of my favorite episodes is when we really dug into an issue in the nerd world, uh, and that is when we talked about Jared Lujan and his issues with Action Labs. Um, I, it's you know not a huge secret that I have mad love for journalism, um, and that I have you know studied journalism to a certain extent, uh, and I believe in in you know seeking the truth and reporting it. And I think that particular episode is one where we came closest to just being straight up journalists. We sat down with somebody who had a serious issue uh, with getting his um, his comic book rights back, even though Action Labs was sitting on it and kind of refusing to to put it out there into the world. And and sitting down and talking about that and and speaking truth about um, you know Action Labs doing something that was you know not not on the up and up, and trying to at least in our you know small part helping uh, Jared Lujan discuss this issue and put it out there. And I was very, very glad that we were a small part of that process and that he ultimately got the rights back uh, to to his comic book. And, and that was a very, very exciting process to me. Probably, um, you know, the one time, I think, in, in our entire 100 episodes where we were able to go full journalist and kind of wield the power of journalism that, you know, shine a light on a problem and try to help. And and that makes me incredibly proud of that episode. Yeah, that's one of those moments, too, where I remember exactly sitting down for that interview and, like, lining that up with Jared, who's who's a great, great individual. Like, um, one of the few folks that I am proud to um, support, like, on Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding websites. You can't, you know, you can't support everybody, but, like, when you have, like, an outstanding good human being like that I, you can't help but but root for them and you know i remember like sitting down for that interview and be like i felt like you know like a baseball player and like all the all the lights were coming on and, and like i was like this is the big time like i this is this is where the big boys play as wcw used to say um but yeah like it felt really really important you know being like a like putting the truth out there and it felt it felt really really cool in that moment and i'm really really proud of that episode yeah yeah i totally agree with that man all right so that brings us actually to our next category our favorite guest now 
I'm going to go ahead and preface this with saying that I've enjoyed all of our guests. Um, I think we've had fantastic guests on and every conversation was fascinating. So picking a favorite is like picking like your favorite kid. It's like, like how you're going to do that, right? Um, so for this category, uh, we obviously had to pick somebody, but I wanted to say, you know, all of our guests have been a blast. So Chris, who, who has been sort of your favorite guest on the show? And, and I second that. It was really, really hard. Um, there, we've had so many people that we've been very fortunate to speak with. Um, Paul Jenkins was like a, like a bucket list interview. And, you know, getting a reply message from him was just like, oh, my God. Um, so there's several, several people that I could have listed here. But um, Stephanie Williams, just like just speaking with her, and, and she's come on the show twice now, um, hopefully for a third time. Um, she's booked and busy, as you know, they say in the industry, and, and just watching her meteoric rise and, you know, writing a, a title with uh, Vita Ayala uh, for Nubia in the Amazons and now going on to Trial of the Amazons as like one of the biggest crossovers of DC this year. Um, she's, you know, writing the Nubia Coronation special and just bringing like such an underrated, underappreciated character to the forefront of DC comics. And who knows how many redacted or things that she has in the works uh, coming up. I'm just super excited to see her continue to grow and succeed as a writer and as a creator. And, you know, just speaking with her each and every time, it's like a, a meeting her for the first time, it felt like we had been friends for years or like, you know, she was like a family member that I had known for my whole life because she's just that easygoing person, easy to talk to, incredibly funny, uh, social media content that will have you in, in tears laughing in stitches. And so I, I, I love Steph to death and I am so excited for, for everything on the horizon for her. Yeah, I'll second that. Uh, Steph was a fantastic guest and uh, everything that's going on at DC Comics with her work right now is an absolute blast. Um, and I'll also say, you know, being able to speak to her kind of at the beginning of that process when she was first getting into, you know, really doing these these big things at, at DC. Um, that's interesting, too, because we kind of got to be part of that ride of her really, you know, having her breakout moment. And I really can't wait to talk to her uh, again about some of the things she's doing. Can't wait to have her back on the show. All right, Dave, speaking of bucket list ones, yours, like you were giddy with this one, dude. I still can't believe we actually got Brian Q. Miller on the show, man. Um, I was such a big fan of his work on the TV show Smallville. Uh, I was a huge fan of his Smallville season 11 comic book. And then he actually came along and, and did, you know, the comic book for me that, that, you know, holds such a special place in my heart. And that's, you know, Batgirl um, with uh, Stephanie Brown in the starring role. So, you know, when we, when you contacted him and we actually managed to, to line up this interview, it was probably one of the, the absolute giddiest moments in my life because he's just such an incredible, guy um, and and you know his his work has loomed large in my life particularly those smallville and and batgirl comic books which was were such a breath of fresh air and so much fun at a time when dc was kind of going down uh, a less than fun route so it was very very exciting to sit down and talk to him and i'm super psyched that he actually just recently tweeted that he is preparing for more comic book work for the first time in a long time so Hopefully, when he can talk more about that, we'll we'll shoot him an invite and get him back on the show because 
uh, speaking to him was just great fun. And, and that's one of the cool things. One of the positive aspects about social media is being able to interact directly with creators. Um, and, you know, in, especially in, you know, we're still in the pandemic and um, cons are kind of hit and miss right now. And so being able to, to tweet at people and thank them for their work and their contributions is just a really, really cool aspect. And also he was one of the first guests that we lined up. I think his episode is in the early teens. I want to say like 12 or 13. Um, and so that was one of those growing pains of, oh my God, time zones are a thing and he's on Pacific time. And that was like, we were sitting there three hours early um, because I neglected to communicate that. And so that was one of those early lessons. And I thought I had completely screwed that up, but he was completely understanding and super cool about it. And just like talking to him was like, it was really cool. It was like this kind of quirky, creative guy who is really, really passionate about his work. And um, that was that was a really awesome one. Yeah, yeah, the growing pains of figuring out time zones. One of the first questions we ask now uh, when, we, when we do interviews, what time zone are you in so we can get this figured out? <laughs> yeah, uh, just another big lesson that you have to learn, um, you know, when, when you are doing a podcast like this that involves guests. So, um, but yeah, yeah, we, we just have had an incredible string of luck for sort of a small scale podcast like we are. We've had some, some you know, big time, uh, you know, creators on our show uh, and also had a chance to shine a spotlight in our own small way on a lot of up and comers. And I'm, I'm very proud of that fact. All right, Chris, that brings us to our biggest goal for the show in the future. What are you looking to do with this podcast as we move into our second 100 episodes? Um, just constantly improving content for our listeners. I um, I'm allergic to mediocrity. I'd never like to be stagnant. I always want to be pressing forward um, and just being bigger and better all the time. And so I, I just like ironing out things and just always, always improving. So that's that's my biggest thing is just constantly moving forward and being better. Yeah, see, I totally agree with that. I too am allergic to mediocrity, and I just want to constantly be the best in the game. Um, so yeah, man, I'd, I'll totally echo that. I want to continue to improve what we do as well. All right, Dave, your goal for this show's future is really the holy grail of podcasting. Yeah, I want to find ways to connect you know, with a larger audience. And that is not to say that the audience we have isn't absolutely fantastic. And I adore each and every one of you uh, who continue to tune into our show. Um, but I think our brand of positivity um, and our brand of um, nerddom, I think, will connect with more people once they have a chance to actually listen. And so my goal is just to get more people to give us a shot to, to listen to an episode and to find out if we're for them. And I have a funny feeling that if we get more ears after that first, you know, attempt at listening to what we do, I think a lot of nerds will find that we are definitely a show that they will enjoy. So, you know, there are things we can do to accomplish this, you know, trade some some ads with other, you know, nerdy podcasts. So other people hear that about, you know, us even existing. Um, I'm interested in maybe exploring um, sort of a, a network of podcasts. There are several that have sprung up and they kind of support each other and run each other's ads. I think something like that might be interesting 
uh, in the long term to try out. But I just, you know, want the opportunity to get some nerdy ears to listen to us and to to discover us um, a, as one of the nerdy shows that they might enjoy. Absolutely. All righty, Chris, nerd commendation time, our favorite segment. Uh, what is a nerd commendation that I made that actually you took to heart and ran with? Well, so this is really interesting to me because the basic premise of the show was the PC versus Mac and like kind of is the grass greener on the other side, learning from one another um, with distinctly different preferences, you know, as far as DC and Marvel, at least, so to speak. Um, And so one of the interesting things, uh, especially through like the homework episodes, which are always fun um, and kind of stepping outside your comfort zone or your your norm, so to speak, when it comes to reading um, biggest, biggest takeaway that I have over these hundred episodes is I'm a big Superman fan now. And, you know, I kind of admittedly, um, fell into that group of like people that were like, oh, he's just overpowered. Oh, he's like OP and all, all this stuff. And so now kind of actually, um, doing some fact checking, actually reading Superman comics, reading the source material, I have completely done a 180. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed um, Superman Birthright that we read in uh, that I read in prep for the the bringing it to screen uh, episode, and then I did Superman Rebirth for um, for a homework episode, and then I also did some Grant Morrison JLA. Uh, just in my free time, based on our discussions, I did do Rock of Ages, I think, for that screen episode as well. And so as a result, like, I'm I'm here for it. And like, I, I am just as furious as you is that we haven't had quality Superman content on the big screen. Um, small screen, what I've seen of Superman and Lois, I have enjoyed. Um, is that the name of it? I can't, I always mix it up with the one from, from the Superman who shall not be named. Um, no, it's super, it's Superman and Lois. Yes. Okay. So I did get that right. So yeah, what I've seen of that, um, I, I still just like the, 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 the CW small screen stuff just doesn't do it for me, but I have enjoyed what I've seen of that. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Superman fan now. So your master plan worked brainiac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Um, yeah, so uh, Superman, obviously my all-time favorite superhero and one that I continuously come back to. Um, so I will continue to nerd comment some of my favorite Superman content because, you know, Supes is the man. Uh, and I'm so glad that you've uh, come to the, the light side and, and realized that, that that particular hero has so much to offer. Okay, but it goes both ways because my master plan worked as well. I will completely admit that uh, I'm still struggling with the current batch of X-Men comic books, I'm sorry to say, despite repeated attempts. But there is something you have converted me to, and that is Jason Aaron's run on Thor. Um, You know, you nerd commended that, I sat down and read that, and I have to say it is probably one of my all-time favorite runs on any comic book ever. Uh, Jason Aaron had a very, very cool approach to Thor, you know, telling telling the story sort of in three different time periods when you have, you know, young brash Thor, heroic current Thor, and then what is King Thor, the aging guy and having them even like work together at one point or another, uh, the whole thing just worked from top to bottom. And I absolutely adore this run. Uh, and it made me an even bigger fan of Thor. I mean, I kind of like the character to begin with the MCU Thor. I'm, I really enjoy, um, 
I've, uh, you know, read J. Michael Straczynski's run on Thor and really enjoyed it to a certain extent. Um, there was a lot of crossover stuff that kind of came in at the end and, and ruined some stuff there. Um, but uh, this is by far my favorite Thor, and I have to say I absolutely loved it, Chris. Well, if you love that, I'm telling you, I, I know that I was nervous when there was a creative shift. But what Donny Cates is doing on the title right now is out of this world. And I, I in, in some ways, I love it just as much, if, if not more. I absolutely love the current run on the title then I definitely have to jump in on that as well because it looks like you and I are on the same Thor wavelength. I'm also reading Walt Simonson's classic run right now, and it's so, 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 so good. And I can't wait to get to um, JMS. Isn't it just amazing how good uh, these online services are for yeah. Marvel and DC? It, it, so would, never, it would never books. happen. It, it, if, if not for this, it would never happen. Yeah, I'm all about the online comic book stuff, man. Another nerd, nerd commendation that I took to heart, by the way. Yeah. All right, so our last uh, last thing we're going to talk about is our favorite milestone or centennial uh, comic book. What you got, Chris? Famously, we've talked about it quite a bit, but the Clone Saga 90 Spider-Man is hit and miss, and it's much maligned in some cases, but um, my favorite, this is, it, it was a tough one, but if I have to pick like a milestone centennial issue that really stands out to me, it's Amazing Spider-Man 400, um, written by J.M. DeMatteis, one of my all-time favorite writers, one of the most underrated, underappreciated writers in all of comic books, From wrote for both the big two, um, but particularly one of my favorite, right up there with JMS, is one of my favorite Spidey Scribes. Um, really does not get near enough credit for for what he did with um with spider-man and in fact i need to go read his spider-man ben riley run that's going right now i think that's still coming out so um but but asm 400 is this really beautiful comic there's some shenanigans with the jackal and ben riley of course but the heart of this issue what really makes it stand out to me is is peter's conversation with aunt may where she reveals that She's on death's door. Go figure. But she usually is. Um, but she reveals that she's known that he's been Spider-Man for quite some time and that she's just proud of him. And there's this beautiful conversation on top of the Empire State Building that really just drives home to the heart of what I love about the character. And so ASM 400 is is one of my all time favorite Spider-Man issues. And if I have to pick a favorite a centennial or milestone issue. It's right there. Spider-Man seven, uh, ASM 700 is great too, with like the lead into, um, uh, superior Spider-Man. That's a lot of people's pick. Um, Thor 700 is another great one. That probably would be like my one a or number two pick. I just love everything about the, the mighty Thor run. Uh, so, so great. And, um, everything Jason Aaron did on the title, but ASM, 400 narrowly edges out those others yeah see so i i think that issue is absolutely fantastic anyways um and as you already mentioned the clone saga stuff was problematic in a lot of ways but the the aunt may storyline that was going on during the time and you know aunt may eventually you know passing away and and you know the emotional impact of that uh, it was a great 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 story that of course was retconned i think to my great regret I think this was a, a, a great send-off for the character. So, you know, I'll, I'll totally agree, man. All right, Dave, what is your favorite centennial or milestone comic? 
Yeah, I'm, I too like to return to the 90s and another big sprawling epic. Uh, not the Clone Saga, but the Death and Return of Superman. Um, Adventures of Superman number 500 uh, sort of was the first major issue um, after uh, Superman's death. And we started getting hints of what was coming. Uh, the heart of the story is um, that Jonathan Kent has a heart attack and appears in sort of a vision of the afterlife where he meets his son, who is kind of being drawn to, you know, the place beyond uh, the ultimate afterlife and his Kryptonian heritage is pulling him to give up. And Jonathan is standing as the guy who says, it's not your time yet and I need to bring you back. You you have still work to do and you need to live. And so that that whole emotional core of fathers and sons and, you know, a father trying to convince his son to choose life and to continue forward um, is absolutely awesome. I've talked often about how much I love father-son themes in in comic books and in storytelling. Uh, And then you have a series of very, very short stories that are like first appearances of the four supermen that replace Superman in the storyline as the mystery of who's the real Superman. So you have your first sighting of, you know, Superboy, the clone of Superman, um, the last son of Krypton, who ultimately turns out to be, you know, the Eradicator, um, you know, the the Man of Steel, which is actually, you know, never really a uh, candidate for being Superman. It's John Henry Iron Steel, sort of, um, you know, DC's Iron Man equivalent. Um, and then, of course, you also have the cyborg Superman, who uh, ultimately turns out to be a villain. Um, so all of that stuff is like hints for what's to come. But the core of the issue is, you know, a father trying to save his son, which is uh, an absolutely great storytelling um device so i really 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 love that part chris it's it's funny and i think this is why i've become such a huge superman fan is because of the similarities between clark kent and and peter parker it's like because we just danced around basically saying the same message you know for jonathan kent and clark kent it's peter parker and aunt may and like so it's it's really interesting you know the old adage of the more we look at our differences the more we realize we are the same and so like i think that's just a commonality that we look for in our comic book reading uh pleasures is those those core themes of family and togetherness and and love Absolutely. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the plucky female uh, superheroine who likes to kick booty. I think that's another <laughs> thing that just keeps popping up in our reading. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so any final thoughts, Chris, for our 100th episode? I love you. <laughs> I, lo- I love you too. <laughs> Here's to another hundred and another and another and another. I totally agree, and I can't wait to continue our nerdy discussions for many years to come. Alrighty, folks, uh, that's it for our big talk. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll be back with some more nerd commendations, so stick around. And we're back, folks, and uh, as you all know, we have uh, now recommended uh, each of us 100 different uh, comic books or movies or television shows, and we will continue to be incredibly positive in everybody's favorite segment. So, Chris, what are you nerd commending this week to our audience? Dude, this is like the hidden gem of hidden gems. I am talking about 
Roberto Aguirre Sacasa's Sensational Spider-Man. So this picks up after the Marvel Knights line that was initially started by Mark Millar, which um, is about a 50-50 bet when it comes to writing Spider-Man. Um, sometimes he gets into trouble. Um, but I'm talking about Aguirre Sacasa's work. It is redubbed um, the second volume of Sensational Spider-Man, and it goes from issues 23 through 41. And it's just this, like I said, it's a hidden gem. And it's like, I love B-books um, because it really dives into the heart of the character. And it's not so much like the superheroic stuff as like it is like the street level and relationships. And we have art on these issues principally by Angel Medina and Clayton Crane. I love Clayton, Clayton, uh, Clayton Crane's work. He has this weird like metallic finish to his characters, if that makes sense. Um Sorry about that, man. No worries. And then Angel Medina really tackles like like the the horror aspects of particularly the first arc in Feral is really really cool, and just the the horror aspects and like the complete fear that he is able to illustrate is is awesome. Also, the cover for uh, Sensational Spider Man twenty three um, is just iconic. It's one of the like the go to. Um, Spider-Man images, like everybody had this as their desktop wallpaper um, uh, for in that area, in that era of the aughts. And so Sensational Spider-Man, um, particularly the one that I revisited this past week was Feral, um, where everybody that is in New York City, particularly people that who are have animal-based powers or animal-based characters, go completely feral and go crazy. So um, Aguirre Sacasa also um, wrote the Nightcrawler solo uh, from a few years before this that I nerd commended previously and I will nerd commend till the cows come home. Um, I, I'm a really big fan of his work. I wish that Archie comics and um, that whole thing was more my vibe because like that's his his shtick now. Like he's, I believe the CCO over all of Archie comics. I know he's done stuff with Riverdale and chilling adventures of Sabrina Riverdale, not so much, but chilling adventures of Sabrina is uh, intriguing to me. I know that's, that's your baby. So I may check that one out, but I love Roberto Aguirre Sacasa's writing and uh, sensational Spider-Man is one of those under the radar books that I feel like nerd commendations was created for. I totally agree, man. I actually read this as well. Um, this is from the sort of the tail end of the JMS era on Amazing, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember reading the whole JMS run and uh, I read the B books as well during that time. And I always you know, felt that oftentimes Sensational was kind of really outshining Amazing a little bit. Um, it's just really, really good stuff. And I am I'm a big fan of Sakasa's work, uh, generally speaking. I always find it regrettable that his TV work sort of put a damper on some of the stuff he was doing for Archie Comics. Uh, the Chilling Adventures comic book sort of went on you know, hiatus um, when the TV show started. And I'm sitting here still waiting for the comic book to come back. Because although I love the TV show, I think I love the comic book more. Uh, the, the visuals and the artwork was absolutely stunning. And if you look at the opening of the television show a lot of that stuff is based directly on the art from the comic book so the the imagery was absolutely stunning in those books and i would really really love for the comic book to make a comeback um 
I kind of I kind of miss it. It ran like six or seven issues, and then suddenly it was just gone. And for something that good, you know, it just it deserves to make a comeback. All right, Dave, um, you are continuing with a trend in your nerd commendation. Gail Simone, I love you. Um, I just want to say that out loud. I, I love you. Um, and I think you have an open invitation to come on our show anytime. I would love to talk to you because your work is absolutely stunning. So I, I began uh, a Birds of Prey read-through that I have since completed. And um, the the run that really captivated me was uh, the run by Gail Simone. So I decided to uh, pick up with uh, you know Simone kind of following one of the characters. When the new 52 came along and we had this whole reboot situation, Barbara Gordon uh, returned to um, the role of Batgirl. Now, this was not something that was very welcomed by a lot of fans of the character, uh, since she uh, was fantastic representation uh, for somebody who was in a wheelchair and still was able to be incredibly heroic. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, felt that uh, her role as Oracle uh, was you know, fantastic for the DC uh, universe and for the character as well. She stood out um, as something very unique um, in the world of DC Comics. And uh, kind of erasing that was uh, left left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, yet, Gail Simone was able to take this scenario and craft some incredible stories. And what I think I appreciated most about uh, Batgirl is that she actually, in her writing, decided not to ignore um, her time in the wheelchair or her time as Oracle. And instead of completely rebooting the character, uh, kind of tells the story of how uh, Barbara Gordon was Batgirl for a year, then was shot by the Joker, spent uh, three years in a wheelchair until a experimental uh, surgery restored her ability to walk. So we still have this background of her as Oracle. And a lot of writers now uh, are still picking up on the fact that she was Oracle once upon a time and are increasing, um, you know, the... Uh, importance of that role in her life and she's doing more oracle related things even now in the pages of something like uh, nightwing or batgirls uh, which is incredibly exciting that you know instead of discarding that element uh you know gail had the uh, audacity to keep it around anyways because obviously she's a huge fan of the character herself and it really sticks out in her writing as you know uh, barbara gordon tries to literally find her legs again as she's you know uh, trying to be batgirl and jumping from rooftops after not being able to walk for so long and the physical therapy she went through and the trauma of being shot you know still being sort of fresh and her dealings with the joker in some of the stories and you know, there, there's just a lot of stuff going on with the character uh, in this series that makes it probably the best thing in my book that came out of uh, the New 52, which was not a very good time period for my fandom of uh, DC Comics. So, you know, if, if you're not going to read anything else from the New 52 era, go and read Batgirl by Gail Simone. It is an absolutely fantastic series. Yeah, this is something that I'm definitely interested in diving into, especially with the um, the Batgirl is it a film or a series? No, nevertheless, uh, that is upcoming with Leslie Grace in the, in the starring role as Barbara Gordon. I'm excited to see J.K. Simmons come back as Commissioner Gordon as well and like do something with that character that was kind of wasted. Um, looks like Michael Keaton might even be there. So this is, is going to be really interesting. Brendan Fraser, who like I'm so glad to, to get his 
revival going. Um, so yeah, this seems like prime content in prep for that for that series. Absolutely, and I will say um, the the Batgirl. It is a movie. Uh, they're actually movie, having discussions. Pa- yes, and they're actually having discussions right now after this merger between Warner and Discovery of actually uh, not premiering it on HBO Max, but actually putting it in theaters. Apparently, there's some quality there that executives are really liking and think that it could be a, a big tentpole movie, which is super exciting to hear. Well, alrighty, folks, there you have it. That is it for the 100th episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. If you like what you heard, tell a friend. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and drop us a rating or review. Uh, You can find our podcast wherever podcasts are available, uh, including uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, our very, very spiffy website, nerdbyword.com. And as always, be sure to hit us up on social media at nerdbyword on Twitter and Instagram or individually that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris. Uh, for show ideas, reactions to the shows, what you would want to see going forward in the future 100 episodes and beyond. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.